Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the third season of Local Folks Podcast. My name is Bob Madar and in this episode we're going to spend time with Delmar, a former guest of the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. Delmar was homeless and addicted to alcohol for many years, but today he no longer drinks, is employed, and is in the process of getting his own apartment. We met at the center, where he now volunteers to help others on the journey to changing their lives. Delmar has had a very hard life, filled with a lot of suffering and pain. But rather than being bitter and angry, he's compassionate, filled with hope, and very much at peace with himself and accepting of his past. I began our discussion by asking Delmar to talk a bit about how and why he became homeless. Um, I'll be 59 in four days, actually, and it started when I was really little. I was, when I was under six years old, um, my life was beautiful. I, my dad wasn't in my life, and um, I loved nature, and I had some really great experiences. And at the age of six, he came into my life. He was a very violent man. He was a chronic alcoholic, and he sla- pretty much slammed me on the ground, and with fury, um, had his fist in the air, and screamed at me, and my life completely changed at that time. And uh, after that, I was under his control for the next 10 years. And I tried to escape a number of times, but um, I was unable to. I grew up in the country in Minnesota, and uh, I didn't know how to live in town, but I'd run away a number of times, and uh, I didn't know how to make it. But when I was 16, I walked down the driveway for the last time and determined to not go back, even if it meant death or whatever. And uh, I was able to find a friend of my brother when I got to town. And uh, he said that he knew a farmer that needed a, a worker. And he brought me to his place. And, um, but I started drinking at six. And it took the fear away of being there on the farm. And uh, so I started drinking at six and I drank heavy the first time. And, uh, and I drank whenever I could until I was 16. When I went to the work for the farmer in town, he um, had a place to live, and I felt like I was absolutely free. And at that time, um, he supplied marijuana, so I started smoking marijuana and drinking heavily. He supplied alcohol also. And um, from there, um, I thought my life was going to be great, but little did I know, I was on the road to heavy alcohol use. And through the years, um, it just got worse, and I was able to work for a number of years off and on. But eventually, it came to the point where I was having a difficult time working. I came to Oregon the first time in 1987, and uh, I came here to be free from my past there in Minnesota. And I stayed here for five years, and I went back to Wisconsin for uh, five years, Wisconsin and Minnesota. And that didn't work out. Well, my brother died, and one of my brothers died when I was pretty young. And that was traumatic, because I grew up really close to him. And I felt like I had abandoned him on the farm with my dad. And uh, so that, all of it coupled together, and I have PTSD from my childhood. And um, so the second time I came to Oregon, I was frustrated with life in general and I decided to go 
I decided to come back to Corvallis the second time I came back, and I decided to camp out. Like many of the homeless people I've talked to for this project, Delmar had very traumatic experiences in his childhood that caused him to self-medicate with a drug, in his case alcohol, to cope with the trauma and dull the pain. Here he is talking a bit more about being homeless and what finally had to happen for him to change the direction of his life. I've been living on the streets in Corvallis because um, I knew I could survive here. And uh, that started getting me involved with the um, Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. And it wasn't, it was Alita that I was involved with mostly. And um, I started getting hope a little bit then. Even though I was a chronic alcoholic and drinking a lot, I, I was going to rehabs and I've been through 10 or 11 rehabs, <laughs> which is, uh, sounds kind of unusual. but. Uh, with the PTSD and alcoholism, I couldn't find a solution. And uh, so the first 10 years I camped out and then I started living on the streets. I mean, basically living on the streets, under the bridges, staying at St. Mary's Church. And uh, that's when Lita really got involved in my life about eight or 10 years ago. And, um, and without Alita, I don't know if I'd have survived. And... No doubt. <laughs> No doubt. So, uh, that's when I started getting involved with the um, cold weather shelter. And uh, I would go there when I could. A lot of times I couldn't. In the last eight years, I've been hospitalized many times that the ambulance would just find me, or the police would find me, people would find me, and just call the 911 because of the alcoholism, and I was just down and out. And uh, two years ago, I went into a treatment program, and there was a counselor there that tried to find a way to get me to accept my past, everything that happened to me, all the darkness. And uh, I didn't, I couldn't get his point of view. And I don't know why I couldn't, but I just couldn't see it. And I went through that program, and I graduated in 90 days. And this year, um, eight months ago, I went through the program again, and he finally got his point across. I don't know why I seen it at that time, but it, it just like the lights came on, and I saw that I needed to accept my past or I wasn't going to survive, and it just, it just happened. I accepted everything as it was and realized that I'm not the only one in this terrible predicament. And uh, so that happening has changed my life dramatically. I tried AA, I tried church, I tried everything that I could possibly think of. And I think the one thing that saved me is I never gave up. No matter what, no matter how difficult it was, I never gave up. I did have that beautiful experience between four years old and six years old when I seen the beauty of life. And that did something to me. It put the beauty of life in me. And I seen that through my life, that my life can return to that. I had no idea how, 
but a big part of it was accepting the trauma that I went through from 6 to 16 and then from when I left home the trauma that went that I went through in my addiction mm-hmm. and over and accepting all of that like I had no life when I was a child I had no childhood you know I was really very um, I felt abandoned I felt left behind and I had really difficult time with society. I never learned how to live in society. And I felt like an outsider. And um, even though I was involved with people, I was involved with people who drank like me. I didn't know how to live with people that didn't because I was looking for a good time. And it was something that I couldn't find in alcohol, even though that's what I found. I mean, even though it's very contradictory because I found peace in alcohol, but at the same time, it destroyed me. Just like my childhood, I had beauty in the beginning, and then when I met my when my dad came into my life, it all fell apart, and it continued on in alcohol. I had beauty, good times, lots of good times drinking, but then it started falling apart. So it was like a two th- two part thing: my childhood, and then my addiction. And now I'm going on to the third chapter. Okay. Now I'm going on to the third chapter of my life, and I'm going to succeed. As Delmar said, accepting the pain and trauma caused by his father's abuse and his subsequent addiction and homelessness was a crucial step in his recovery. I asked him how the CDDC helped him to accept his past. Well, the CDDC is kind of like a place for people to stop in, have coffee, have something to eat um, for at least five hours a day. When there's, when there's not many places to go. Some people do go to the library, but some people don't like the library so much. I love it. I happen to go there, and I went there a lot in the past also. But uh, CDDC is a place to just stop in, not only for coffee and something to eat, but it's also a source of a number of volunteers here that give you information on places to go, things that you just wouldn't normally think of. Um, like getting your teeth worked on, getting, you know, SSI if you want it, getting housing if you want it, um, and a number of, just an endless variety of options that um, just um, people that have been out there for a long time just wouldn't think of. But uh, uh, Lita is a source of information, just an endless source of information. If she doesn't have the answer, she knows who to send someone to. And... Um, so there's a lot of outside sources that are available, but the main thing is the individual has to want to help themselves. And um, sometimes in life it takes very much, it takes a lot of pain sometimes to be accepting of help. Because sometimes help, you know, like my dad put it in me many times very violently. You don't need no one. You need to help yourself. Don't ever count on anyone. And when somebody pushes that in you that deep, and he called me many other terrible, terrible names. And um, when somebody pushes that in like that, it's called PTSD, and that's what I suffer from. Not only alcoholism, but PTSD. And um, when a person's psychologically damaged that way, um, it makes everything very difficult, and it took it took a lot of people caring about me through here, CDDC, the cold weather shelter. There's very caring people there. It took a lot of people care, saying, "I care about you," 
and it took many times for them saying that I love you for me to finally realize and remember completely that I am lovable to you you know and, um, and I and I know that now and I don't feel good about life all the time I, I still go through big, huge struggles but not like I did when I was out there it's easier but I still go through a lot of struggles you know and that's not good. I mean but life is a struggle anyway right life is life is a struggle anyway and life isn't just easy all the time so I mean I see the light and I see the dark I see the good and the bad and I I, I accept it all it's part of the human process you know and um so I um when I was on the streets I was feeling pretty hopeless and now I'm gaining hope back through a lot of people just showing me that they care. They're not just saying I care, because I thought, oh, they're just saying that because they feel bad for me. They see me that I'm down and out and dying, literally dying. Mm -hmm. And then it came to the point where, no, they really do care. They really do care. They really do care because uh, my, fa my, my um, immediate family didn't seem to really care about me. They just let me go. You know, and I'm not in close contact with them, um, but I do contact them on occasion. I did go to my dad's funeral. I said I never would, and I did it just for my mom, for my family. But I'm grateful that I did. If I had missed his funeral, it would have been a sad day indeed because some interesting things happened there during that period. But that's the last time I've seen my family. It was 15 years ago, and it's been 20 since I've had a good con conversation. Because when you go to a funeral, you don't. You know, it's not a happy, joyous time, and I and I barely, I barely even seen some of them at all. You know, some of my family. So uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been home for a visit. Twenty, twenty-one years. Yeah, twenty-one years. Yeah. So um, yeah, CDDC and um, the homeless shelter, community outreach, um, have been a huge help to me. And uh, yeah, CDDC coming here is a joy. And I, and I come here now to see mostly the volunteers, but anybody that wants to talk that is out there and having difficult times, I know what to say. Exactly. I know what to say now, you know, and if they mm -hmm. say, you know, uh, you wouldn't understand, I can say I might. Yeah. I, I might understand. I understand. Yeah. I may have been, been in very similar situations. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Some of the stories I might not be able to understand because everybody has their own experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, but some of them I certainly will. As Delmar said, the CDDC and other agencies that serve the homeless provide a wide array of needed services. But as important as shelter, food, and medical care are, it seems to me that it is the support, compassion, acceptance, and regard from kind and caring people that has the power to change lives. Knowing that other people believe you are a worthy person, someone who is deserving of their care and regard, can help build a positive sense of self and a realization that you are powerful and have everything you need to change your life for the better. Let's listen to Delmar as he talks about his plans for the future. So, my life has changed so much, it's incredible. And now I'm working full-time, I'm looking forward to getting housing, and I'm going to rent a place of my own. I had the opportunity to get SSI and housing and everything like that, and I just decided I'm going to do this on my own. 
and I've got a career that I'm following in photography, but I'm working full-time right now to support that career goal. And um, so basically, here I am, sitting at this microphone. And it's just, um, so, yeah. So, um, here's, a, here's a question. You mentioned that you were um, a photographer. What, what kind of photography do you do? What's your, what's your interest in photography? Um, I'm a nature photographer. I, en I enjoy photographing birds, animals, um, scenery, rivers. I love rivers. Mm -hmm. um, and I did do wedding photography for a while, years ago body equipment and I still fortunately I saved my equipment that's the only thing that I've saved through all these years so I have all my digital equipment and in the last 20 years I've got all my images stored digitally so I have that as a backup now and when I get my own place I'll start in it as much as I can but I need to work full-time now mm -hmm. to have a place to live because mm -hmm. I want a car Mm -hmm. I want a family and I want a home, <laughs> and I'm gonna and I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna do it. Yeah. What are you? What are you? What's your work? I'm working for Oregon State University in, in a dining service. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. In closing, I asked Elmar if he had any final thoughts he would like to offer. <laughs> well, I would say that um. I would say that in every family, there may be a member, it might not be an immediate member of their family, it might be a cousin, it might be extended relationship, but everybody has seen everybody, everybody has seen someone at some time going through very difficult times and have tried to help them. And um, whether they've succeeded or not, if they have, that's great. And if they haven't, what could have they done? Maybe think about it. Use their imagination. Everybody sees aired um, on, on the air of people who are going through difficult times. If they use their imagination and think, what would that be like? What would that be like? And take it fairly seriously, you know, rather than just thinking about it for a moment and kind of saying, oh, well, it's out of my control. Maybe if, maybe if each individual just says, what can I do? And that's a starting point. And from there, just uh, maybe talk to some people. Maybe stop in the drop-in center, CDDC here, or stop in a cold weather shelter and volunteer, or stop anywhere and just, you know, if you see somebody out and about, say, how are you today? And if they say, I'm not so good, just say, what, what do you need? You know, what, help, what can help? Who can help you? Can I help you? Um, any information like that and if uh, you know if everybody if everybody did that which will never happen but if some of the people did that this world could be a really truly different place I couldn't agree more tolerance openness kindness and compassion are qualities that I firmly believe can help us all make our communities better places to live they are powerful tools for building a vibrant community, and they cost absolutely nothing. In fact, if I've learned anything as a result of working on this project, it's this. Treating others with these qualities is not only cost-free, it pays enormous dividends to all of us. When you help someone else in need, you gain as well, and you are a more complete and vibrant person as a result. 
Thank you for listening, and I hope you will return for the final episode of Season 3, airing on April 1st, when I'll reflect on what I've learned from the volunteers and guests of the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. KBOO Portland.